0: Happy February, entrepreneur. And do we have a lineup for you, my friends. We are officially kicking this month off with Samantha Carlin, who is the founder and CEO of Empower Global. And she also runs a feminist leadership program, which is fantastic, as well as a talk show host. Next up, we have Dr. Nancy Dome coming in on the 14th, who is an equity consultant and has an amazing book out that is called Let's Talk About Race and Other Hard Things. Next up on the 21st, we have Marianne Moore, who is the founder of a social justice consultancy called Justice Studio. And rounding out the month on the 28th, we have my beautiful friend Erica Kidder on the show, who is releasing a new book called Black Mixed With. And you do not want to miss these ladies. They are powerhouse guests, and you're going to learn a lot. And for right now, we are jumping in with the incredible Samantha Carlin. Let's go Here we go. entrepreneurs and welcome to today's show. I am looking forward to this conversation because it's going to be extremely interesting. Given the fantastic guests that we have, Samantha Carlin is with us today. She is the founder and CEO of Empower Global, which is a global diversity and inclusion training company. She also runs an amazing feminist leadership program, which she will talk about in a little bit. And she's the host of a talk show on global politics and women's rights, which I have to say, I've learned a ton from, and I know you will too. That is called Samantha Politics, which you definitely need to check out. As well as, fun fact, folks, she used to be an opera singer, which I have a singer as well. So, you know, I'm happy to have a conversation on whatever you want today. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Samantha. I'm delighted. Do you want to do a rendition of
1: Sularia also?
0: Just we'll just jump into, you know, random things because you never know what's going to happen on podcast land. That's <laughs> Maybe that's an episode two for us. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> I might be rusty. Um, all right. Well, you know, jump in. You have such an interesting, interesting background in a story. And I know you've got a kick ass degree, the combo of a lot of you know, global work, so much stuff. So tell us about your kind of journey to date.
1: Uh, so I think I would start with, and I think this is always where I start, that I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, it's funny, my parents are doctors. They don't consider themselves entrepreneurs, but they both have their own business. So I'm like, mom and dad, you're entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur. <laughs> like, no, we're doctors. I'm like, no, but you run your own businesses. You're, you're entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I was never, ever very good at following rules. Um, I don't love authority. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know, always have liked to be in charge and kind of been a natural leader. Um, uh, but I think the biggest thing about my history that's incredibly unique is that my youngest sister, or excuse me, my younger sister, Lindsay was born with a fatal neurodegenerative brain disease called Canavan disease. Mm. So Canavan disease is, uh, affects children. They cannot walk, talk, hold their heads up. And when she was born and my parents were told there's no cure go put her in an institution and let her die. She'll die by age 10. Wow. And so my parents, instead of doing that, my dad was like, "Mm, no, thanks. (laughs) And, you know, he's a physician and he, I remember when I was, I was eight years old, my dad was just on the phone all the time. He was calling every doctor. He knew every researcher, every, um, you know, genomic person, um, to see like, can we get research on this disease happening? Because I don't want my child to die. Yeah finally convinced these two researchers at Yale who were researching Parkinson's at the time to research Canavan disease. And fast forward 18 months later, my sister's the first person in the world to be treated with uh, gene therapy for brain disease, Canavan disease. Fast forward, you know, she's now 27. Wow. She was supposed to die by age 10. Wow. And all these other kids have been treated with gene therapies. And actually the most current gene therapy trial is ongoing is happening right now, which is exciting because we've been waiting about 10 years for this with really little kids. Yeah, And so it's amazing to see how all of this happened because of my sister who can't walk, talk or hold her head up. And I think wow. also to see, you know, my parents kind of gave me this idea that, you know, they said to my parents, this is impossible. So scientifically impossible. There's, there's no research, there's no cure, give up. And my parents said, no, thanks. And so I think for me, I've always been an idealist in the sense that I really do believe that anything is possible. Yeah. Good. And I think that that's under you know been the underpinning of a lot of my um just how I function and operate and how I'm able to inspire people.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, I think you and I are very much align on that. I'm very much about, you know, I had a client earlier today that was like, "Well, it's not possible." And I was like, "Whoa." <laughs> I'm like, "We're going to back that up a little bit because you and I both seen just absolutely amazing like what you just described things happen across the globe and with so many people when the drive is there and when the passion is there. So do you what is the kind of thing that you think kept your parents going in that on that journey?
1: Uh grit. Yeah. Um I think that to be honest that having other children really helped them. Like I really feel for the parents whose first child is, has canavan disease. Yeah. Uh, I I like to believe that I helped them. I mean I think that's also shaped my personality of course you know, the, the middle child always kind of having to be an optimist I've always been the kind of stable you know when the family's like this and that's still the same now you know my family would be everyone's just screaming and I'm like okay everybody let's just calm down let's like come to the table let's figure out a solution like I'm always the one making jokes um so I think that and I think just I really just think they knew that, you know, their child's life was at risk. It was like a ticking time bomb. And they, I think their love for Lindsay was just so fierce that they just kept pushing.
0: Yeah. Which is absolutely beautiful. And I'm sure like you just alluded to, what is your degree in? What's your master's degree in?
1: Uh, international relations with a focus on um, gender analysis and conflict resolution.
0: Yeah. Conflict resolution. That was exactly. the part I was going
1: for. I'm still, I'm still doing it. <laughs> I was so funny. I didn't know it would become a career.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> <So> yes. <laughs> That's, but you're right. Um, I think a lot of us can look back and say, okay, well, we can see where that came from, right? All of the different skills that we acquired, even when we were younger and the role models, which your parents sounded like they're pretty good ones to have, especially in the yeah. entrepreneurship realm. So then, you know, what kind of catapulted you beyond what we're talking about here into, you know, the global relations part of it and the women's studies and, and all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So I did, I did my undergrad at Tufts in uh, my master's or excuse me, my undergrad was also international relations, but I was I was simultaneously singing opera. <laughs> so it's always like, I used laugh, Michelle, I was like, I ran from like, you know, encounters with the Middle East, like having dialogue with the yeah. students in Lebanon, to play practice.
0: Yeah, and it was
1: exactly. Like this, like, you know, yep. like, this duality of personalities. Uh, and uh, I really got into gender issues. My senior year at Tufts, I was able to cross-register at the Fletcher School, which is where I ended up doing my master's yeah. um, in a class that's really complicated sounding. It was gender analysis in oh my gosh i can't even remember it was so confusing it was like gender (laughs) and complex humanitarian emergencies or something like that
0: wow yeah And,
1: and the teachers were amazing and i was just like oh my god this is a whole new prism to look through and it's basically this premise that the world we live in was created for white wealthy slave owning men yeah or or property owning men yep and so applying a gendered analysis it usually people end up thinking that gender means women, but it's only because usually the only gender that's been considered is male. Right. right. So like, even, you know, I was this chair, I had to put two pillows behind me. Right. Yeah. And my feet, my feet barely
0: touched the floor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I was playing golf the other day and like my feet can't touch the floor. I'm like, I can barely touch the back of the seat. I mean, that's a very
0: small normal microcosm.
1: Thing. But it's normal. But it's, right. Yeah. But it's made for men. So you know, when you apply that lens to global conflicts, and so on my show, Samantha Politics, I'm always asking, you know, what was the women's role in this? We're looking right. at women's rights activists who usually are kind of discounted. It's always just like, oh, the government did this, the government, the rebels. Nobody wants to look at the nonviolent actors. It's not sexy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. usually the women. Yeah. And they're usually doing amazing behind the scenes work. So I always try to bring that lens. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and then... I think another really big turning point for me was watching the movie, The Whistleblower. Have you ever seen that?
0: I know of it, but I have not seen it yet. It's on, it's on my very long list of movies. That so, to see.
1: It really influenced me because I actually was working in tech after undergrad. I don't know how that ended up happening. And I, I watched this movie, which is about this true story of a woman who undercovers um, a sex trafficking ring during the Bosnian war. Yeah. I think it's during the yeah during the Bosnian War, and she tries to bring it to her higher ups. I think she was at the UN at the time. She tries to bring it to her higher ups, and basically, it keeps getting shut down. Who are all men? Yeah. Then right. she was blacklisted from working for international aid organizations, hmm. and I just was like, oh my god, like this is. I just had this moment of being like, I know that I have like a greater purpose out there. So I finally um, went back to graduate school. You know, my, I was the first person to graduate with a Master's in gender analysis, which was really exciting. And then, you know, we'll we'll dive into how that led me here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, number one, I'm not surprised by the story, which also makes me sad about the woman that was talked about in that movie, and the storyline that it that it led. And there was one part of, I think it was in your your TED talk that I was, you know, looking at where you talked about violent versus nonviolent kind of mm. protests and different things like that and the, the impact that they had. And it's always those people. What was the example that you gave in the talk around the, um, the pots and the pans?
1: Yeah. Right? I mean, pots can and you, pans.
0: yeah. Can you just share a little bit of that, that view with our listeners? Because I think it's so impactful because people think that they need to go kind of, you know, into these violent situations when it's often the opposite.
1: Yeah. So, the research shows, and there's really good research from um, USIP, um, Maria Stefan and Erica Chenoweth have published a lot on nonviolent protests. And they actually show that nonviolent protests are more successful at overthrowing a regime than violent protests. Yeah. And so why is that? So one is that they're inclusive. You know, not everybody wants to, if somebody comes and asks me to join a revolution and says, oh, you're going to have to kill people, I'm going to say no thanks. Exactly. <laughs> if <laughs> someone comes out know, and asks me to, to join a revolution and says, hey, can you, uh, can you write articles for our, you know, dot newspaper? I'm like, yeah, okay, I can do that. Or, you know, I'm an old lady and I'm, this was, it was uh, in Armenia yeah. and now I'm an old lady, I can't leave my house cause I can't even walk. Can you bang on pots and pans at 5 p.m. every day? Oh yeah, I can do that, Yeah, right? So it's, it's way more inclusive. So the numbers of people that end up participating are way more um it also doesn't draw like the condemnation of the international community as much because there's not as much violence happening right, right. um I'm trying to remember the other reasons that my TED talk was a while ago now
0: but those okay. are some of the aspects no I think it's I think it's wonderful and kind of like the example that you just gave too. the the nonviolent ones actually I would assume play on people's strengths and right. leverage the strengths of the individual right. person like you said like My forte might not be going and shooting people, but I can write like hell, right? Or speak or do different things. So it's kind of the power in the collective. Um, So, I mean, moving forward, because you've, again, like so many interesting conversations that you've had and roles that you've had, what's kind of brought you to where you are today with feminist entrepreneurship? So
1: the, you know, I, I talk about the things that I do in three buckets right now. I do diversity and inclusion training for companies. I run my women's leadership program and I do my talk show. Right. So I will, I'll talk about mainly the talk show and the women's leadership program. Cause I think they're the most unique. Yeah. So about, uh, And, and, you know, in terms of resilience, you know, March 20, go back to March, 2020. Mm -hmm. I had just come back from living in Spain with my ex-boyfriend who I was very much in love with. Yeah. Uh, He broke my heart in about February of 2020. I was moving around the world with him. I moved to Spain with him. I moved to Boston with him. We moved back to DC. I was actually doing a diversity and inclusion training for a company in Chile in February, 2020, Right before COVID, and he broke up with me, and I was like, my world was gone. Uh, and I also was like, uh, so so then COVID hits. So yeah. he moves out. I now have a two-bedroom apartment that we need to pay rent for, and all of my corporate trainings that I was doing get canceled because it was before people realized, oh well, we can take this DEI yeah. training and we can make it virtual, right? Or this women's leadership training, and that was most of my income was doing corporate workshops, right. So I'm all of a sudden have no money broken heart. It's COVID. So Mm. everything's shut down. And I, I, to be honest, like was in one of the worst places I think I've ever been in my life. I mean, it was really hard to go through a breakup with someone you thought you were going to marry and also be like, I can't pay my rent And that's when I came up with the idea for this leadership program. And the concept was, well, I've been doing coaching for women on and off for about a decade on, I call it women's empowerment coaching, but really helping them step into their power, find their strengths, access their voice, Mm -hmm. negotiate, um, not feel bad about themselves, stop saying yes to everything, a lot of kind of confidence stuff. But then also I have this master's degree in international relations and gender. Yeah. And then, you know, I did this Ted talk and started to go down this rabbit hole of research. And what I started to think about was, could I link a lot of these trainings I'm doing together into one program? And the other piece of it was it was COVID. And so I think since it's a podcast about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is about recognizing the hole in the market. What is missing? What do people need? Right. And I could feel, myself included, this incredible sense of loneliness Mm -hmm. that everybody was having and including the women in my program or even people I met with, they were so lonely and the world was trying to supplicate loneliness with, you know, a five minute virtual, you know, happy hour, which was terrible. Yeah. I mean, just bad. It was like, okay, I'm really going to gain meaningful connection from five minutes of talking to a stranger on the internet speed networking. Yeah. No, you're not, (laughs) you're just not. And I saw people had a deeper need for meaningful connection. Mm -hmm. So that's what I decided. And this is, I think part of feminist entrepreneurship as well is I'm going to do a small program. So it's going to be eight to 10 women max. It's going to be long. So now it's every other week for 11 weeks and it's two and a half hours every session so that women can really have the time and space to form meaningful connections with one another. Right. And that's how the program started.
0: Which is lovely. Cause I think, you know, I'm a big believer as you've just stated as well. It's, it's the, it's the depth of the connection. Right. And I think that's where there is a, there is kind of a split, (laughs) a divide in the world around kind of the, the depth versus the width, right? So you can have a Rolodex. That's a thousand people deep. Um, do people even say Rolodex? I mean, whatever that is, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, address book, hey, I still say phone book I say whatever it. you say, I'm going to say Rolodex. Um, but you know, you can have it as a thousand deep, but if only, you know, a handful of those people are engaging, or, you know, you don't really understand what's going on in their worlds, then where's the value. And I mean, same with our, our social media culture with followers, um, you know, the quality over quantity is definitely Mm. needed there. So, I mean, what were you seeing kind of in your first, your first cohorts of women that you were coming in? I'm sure they were craving connection in a big way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that they wanted a space to talk about challenges that they were dealing with, Um, I also, it was challenging because they were across borders. Like my first cohort, I had women from I think six different countries in the cohort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I was navigating cultural barriers. It was my first beta class. Uh, But I did see that there was a hunger for the type of information that I was providing, which is about feminist leadership. And I, you know, I wanna, I wanna transition from my TED talk was about women leaders and how women have I think natural aptitudes. And I've really deviated since then to feminist leadership Yeah, because you can tell someone to lean into being like a woman but that means something so different for every woman. It does, I agree. Whereas feminist leadership has a set of values like collaboration, cooperation, respect, protecting the planet, diversity where they create a better North star. You know, treating people um, kindly, humanely, human centered design. I think they create a much better North star to say, okay, these are the values we need to abide by as feminist leaders versus just saying, well, be empathetic. Cause that's what you're like.
0: Yikes. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's also, I mean, because you're saying that there's the set of values, right? Like you said, there is a North star, there are bumpers and we're not just kind of as people Like, you know, we're women, so obviously we need to be empathetic all the time. And obviously we're crying all the time. And obviously all of these kind of labels that come with that, when you know what, I know men who also can step into those, you know, those exactly qualities. So it's more about lending itself to the ability of a leadership model, you know, in itself and less about the box of the person, right? Or the gender, Right.
1: right? Exactly. And I, and to be honest, I teach a lot of the same stuff. And when I teach inclusive leadership courses, I just don't say that it's feminist because the men wouldn't show up.
0: Right, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but It's it's whole person. That's what it feels like to me. Like, you know, you can, you can, yes, just keep talking. (laughs) I'm on, I'm on board. So talk us through like, you know, how do you walk somebody through like, you know, defining what that is and kind of finding that in themselves? So it's,
1: I, I say that it's, in inner power, I help people understand their inner power and their outer power. So inner power, I've developed something I call the intrinsic power map, yeah. which is a combination of your strengths, your personality attributes, your talents, um, your network, your purpose, and your values. And I, that's kind of something I've come up with after years of coaching. And the idea is to be like, what is your unique value proposition, yeah. both for yeah. the outside world whether it's romantically for a job and also to yourself, where's your North star, you know, the the feminist leadership is a systems level, but this is kind of your inner level. What what is your inner star that's driving you? And what, like I found in terms of self-confidence, what really helps women is to understand what makes them them because we're always, since we're kids, we're in a comparison game with everybody else. Yes, we are. Yep. Yep. It doesn't matter, Michelle, whether you're blonder or I'm blonder because you are you and I'm me. And exactly. there's certain things that makes me, me and me, you, and our career trajectories don't look the same because we're not the same person and we have different mm-hmm. things to offer the world. Yep. But if you don't have that inner insight, I think it's hard to, to know how to separate and to, to basically fall into the comparison trap or yeah. alternatively to fall into the external, um, external power, mm-hmm. which is that your value is determined by, whether you have a a, a boyfriend or a husband, whether you, how much money you're making, Mm -hmm. whether you've got the part in the play. And so then if you don't have that kind of intrinsic knowledge, then you're leaning on just accomplishments. And so if those fall, you fall with them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think think that's so valuable to say, especially for, for our ladies listening. I mean, men too, but mainly women. Like we come out of the womb and we are starting to be told, what is the right way to be, right? I was just right. watching a random, random video on Instagram the other day that was, okay, they told us you had to have this waistline. Then they told us you had to be this. And then they move, the target's going to keep moving right? no matter what it is, because it's based on marketing, sales, driving, driving all that good stuff. So being able to kind of figure out what you are, regardless of that stuff, or in addition to that stuff, or however you want to say it, I would imagine you have a lot of light bulbs go off for women, and it's got to be almost kind of this tear down to build up. Yeah, um, it is. It is a little bit,
1: and and that's why the second class—that's uh, actually a leader class, the Intrinsic yeah. Power Map. The second class is called—you're going to laugh, Michelle—deconstructing your inner patriarchy. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, needed. And and, and that's the, that's the systems approach. That's looking yeah. at what were you told that it means to be a woman? Were you told that if you had sex, you were a whore? Were you told that you're not supposed to take up space? Were you told you're not supposed to be angry? Or if you're angry, you're crazy. Were you told that you were supposed to get married and not have a job? What were you told about being a woman? And it comes from every angle. And even the fact that we have a gender wage gap and that women get paid less than men. Yeah. What does that say? That sexual harassment is allowed to go on in workplaces and that, well, I think prior to me too, but it still happens that women who report rate, they're fired and the men aren't fired sometimes, yeah. you know, that that's, in, it's ascribing a value to women that is less than men and it's unconscious. It's coming at us from all angles. So I try to expose women to that, to realize, cause I think that a lot of times
0: self-confidence is rooted to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. Cause it's programmed totally less value you've right? been programmed and you don't even, I think that's the thing is. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, I think. And I can, I know some of our listeners are probably saying, well, it's not as bad as you're making it out, but it is if you look close enough, (laughs) I I, I think that's, that's that's the key is once you start to kind of see in patterns, um, you know, and also I think we've been as women kind of trained to turn on one another as well with Mm -hmm. that. Right. So you're either sleeping around and you're a whore or you're not sleeping enough. So you're not sexy enough, or you're not (laughs) like, always like this kind of anywhere you go, you hit a wall. Um, and when it comes to the pay gap, um, you know, you've heard some, some leaders say like, don't ask for a raise. That's rude, right? Like that whole thing. And you're like, wait a minute, but if I do it, it's rude. But if they do it, it's, you know, ballsy or ambitious or, you know, so it's, but I love the fact that you go kind of intrinsic and then to how you plug into that societal structure which I think right. is key, right?
1: Right. And then how yeah. do you change the structure? So yeah. there's also a class on creating institutional change. So it's like, okay, we know all this. You want to create change on, you know, plastic pollution. And we had a, a woman who's, who's Jackie, who's amazing. Who's done a lot of work on that. Like, what are the steps that you take? So I've had speakers come in to talk about, okay, well, strategic partnerships and media and task yeah. forces. And, uh, who do you talk to and, uh, creating low hanging fruit and, um, understanding we even do something called I call a power analysis like understanding invisible power direct power and indirect power yeah yeah and who who holds the power but who's influencing you know tobacco companies you could say with smoking hold the power but it was also the advertising industry that had indirect power because they're showing people that are sexy smoking cigarettes yeah so then the way that you target you know, the tobacco companies is different than the way you would target the advertising industry. So it's kind of helping yes. people to say, okay, I want to create social change. That's great. But let's deconstruct your issue and kind of pull it apart. So we can see where are you uniquely suited? Do you want to change policies in Congress? Or are you going to launch a, you know, a docu series on humanitarian activist women, which one woman is doing? So where is where is your role to play?
0: Right. And the fact that you are strategically kind of breaking it down as well, because I think right. that's where I would imagine people get frustrated as they, their voice isn't heard or they don't, they aren't seeing an impact or they don't, but there are so many different players and pieces. And I mean, it's very similar to sales, right? The what's in it for them factor mm. and kind of, you know, I mean, I hate to say, it, but I'm going to following the money on some of these as well to see yeah. who gets, who gets impacted at what level yeah, um, and then finding the easiest point of entry for yourself. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Right? That's amazing. So when, once you get them kind of through, through these steps, are they good? Are they all good? <laughs> like what's, they all the, good? <laughs> what's the maintenance part of it? You know, how do you keep yeah. up with that? Cause it's so easy when you're bombarded with all this information to kind of slip back.
1: Yeah. I mean, more. I think that there's a couple now that I have like, have had like a critical amount of women go through the program. Like it's going to be 50 women either in or alumni starting in the end of October. Nice. And so that's a significant amount of women leaders yeah. um, and some notable alumni, any Emmy award-winning journalist, a couple CEOs. So that's actually the part I'm starting to figure out now. So first of all, one thing they have to do during the program is called a change initiative. And so that's, you know, one woman did a docuseries on or is doing a docu-series on human rights activists, women human rights activists. Another is writing a children's book series for children that have experienced trauma. And she just had her second book uh, come out, which I'm really proud of, Leslie Zafran. Uh, and and uh, you know, others, it's to, to pass something through Congress. So after the course, we do a one month check-in. I facilitate it for the first three months. And then I asked them to keep facilitating a monthly session for their group to do a check-in on their change initiatives and also just to do a check-in. Because right. this, this becomes not just a, th- this group becomes, we call it the wolf pack. Yeah, They become really close with one another. Yeah. And, you know, and it's crazy because many of them have never met in person. I mean, almost all of them. And yet they trust each other with their innermost secrets and to talk about hard things that are happening. So um, some of the women from the first two cohorts when I wasn't doing that started doing that anyway without me facilitating it. Right. Uh, but I'm now looking at this as not just, you know, these people go through the course and they're gone. They're still part of the empower community. Yeah. So I have a mighty network. So something I'm going to, I'm starting to do in two weeks is an ask and give circle where people can come say, I'm looking for clients. I'm looking for a book publisher. I want to get on blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and someone else in the group can say, I can help you with that. So kind of a referral circle slash just, Because women hate asking for stuff.
0: Yeah. But if they're in a safe enough space, we will.
1: Right. With women that they know, and this goes back to what you said about women putting down other women, every woman in this program is committed to uplifting other women. There is no toxicity, there's no gossip, there's no negativity. You are there to encourage and support. Yeah. And everybody knows that. And so it's a safe space where they know that someone is going to come through for them. And so I'm going to do ask and give circles. I just started putting into preparation a retreat. So I'm thinking Costa Rica or Mexico.
0: Wonderful. And
1: that will be more, um, less feminist leadership course and more music and bonding and yoga and, you know, you know, there's always going to be some planning to, you know, dismantle the patriarchy at anything that I do. But...
0: <laughs> so it's, but we can do it alongside a dance floor and some other stuff. Exactly. right?
1: <laughs> like, we can do it okay. first and then dismantle the patriarchy after. Yeah. It's okay. Um, we
0: can do that all in the same 24 hours. It's cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, and the other thing I do, Michelle, and is I, I intentionally match women within their cohort first with other women in their cohort for a one-on-one meeting. This is part of creating the bonding.
0: Right.
1: Once they've met with all the women in their cohort, I start to match them with alumni or Mm -hmm. women in another cohort based on what I know about them. So if somebody says, Sam, I want to get a job in impact investing, I'm going to pair them with someone who's impact investing. Um, Sam, I want to, I literally had, you know, Leslie wanted to be a children's book author and Susan was already a children's book author. I'm going to pair them together. Yeah. Um, And then what I've had happen is, like I had one woman in she's british but in canada talk to a woman who's in bangladesh from jamaica working on election reform they're both kind of in the humanitarian sector and they said we want to create a humanitarian pact that is targeted sexism in the humanitarian space fantastic and that was because i connected them across all of these yeah so i think part of my and i continue to connect them after the program is over so i think that's also in terms of maintenance but it's, you know, it's an ongoing question, Michelle, and it's what I think about, about, you know, do I have a feminist leadership troubleshooting circle every week? Yeah. Uh, those are the things that I'm starting to think about now, since the program is stable and, you know, kind right. of taken right.
0: off. gone through beta and all that good stuff. Yeah. It's great that you did that too. And I think, you know, the like breeds like, right. So if you can kind of start the waterfall, with this group and with this mentality, then they're just kind of the ripple effect is going to be pretty immense. I mean, just by the, some of the things that you just described right there, the impact is going to be, you know, tenfold coming out of that. And so just to kind of come full circle with the feminist entrepreneurship, I mean, if somebody's listening right now, beyond signing up for your program, which we'll talk about in a moment, but beyond that, you know, what can they kind of look at, you know, tomorrow when they set foot in their work environment or, you know, how to make kind of even those micro impacts, um, whether it's looking at themselves or how can they begin that feminist entrepreneurship journey?
1: Uh, so I think it's different if you're an entrepreneur versus an entrepreneur, uh, (laughs) because if if you're, if you're creating change within your company, I think it's different than if you have your own thing, because you just have greater capacity. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'll am i go for, an, you know, an entrepreneur first, like, for example, a couple of things that characterize feminist entrepreneurships are ethics, right? right? And not compromising your ethics for, um, you know, for money. So Facebook right now is a prime example of not feminist entrepreneurship <laughs> and the way that they put, you know, profits over People. the self-esteem and suicidal aviation of teenage girls and said, oh, well, but we would still want to make money. So we don't care. Right. That's not versus um like one thing that I've dealt with in my talk show I'm liberal I think that abortion is a human right yeah and I have had you know potential advertisers that said well do you take a side and I have to say yes right and that sucks because I want their money right but at the same time there you know there's so many right wing podcasters and tv hosts right now there needs to be a female voice on the left Who's young? Who's with it? And who's like kind of hip? And I I believe that. And so I have to say, like, no, I think Donald Trump is the worst person that ever lived. You know, and 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 that means I'm losing the money. But but it's okay because that's part of modeling feminist leadership. Right. So I think ethics is one thing. Um, also, uh, like, I I tr- I think that feminist leadership and feminist entrepreneurship is about Creating organizations, and this is the definition of transformational leadership, where you lift other people up to their full potential. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So how do you create a space, a culture, an environment where people feel
0: supported? Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, where I think they, you, you yeah. had also mentioned before transactional leadership versus transformational leadership. Right. Can you give people just kind of the difference between those two things? Because sure. I think it drives the transformation part home a little bit.
1: So transactional leadership is based on the systems of risks and rewards, right? So, or excuse me, uh, rewards and punishments. Yes. So, yep. you know, if you do this, you're going to get more money, right. If you don't do this, you're going to be fired. And it's all kind of a competition. There's a, a great study about how, um, the workplace was created, what, um, Kind of toxic masculinity is kind of embedded into the workplace. Yeah. Of it's a competition for resources. It's not a win-win, and women usually don't love that. Right. So transactional leadership is based on that, and it's also, I think, less. It's viewing things on transactions. So if you think back to Pretty Women,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, as much the as transaction. I think, yeah, I know,
1: as, as much as I think that that movie was, it was weirdly, I think it was kind of a, a cluster. You know what? Because it was like. Yeah. Weirdly anti-feminist, but also feminist. Also feminist,
0: yes. It was, it like, was, it was very a very interesting little,
1: mixture. It was confusing. <laughs> yeah. But if you go back to that basic example, you know, she's bringing to the attention of Robert Redford, like, yeah, but it's it's wrong of you to do this. He's like, Yeah, yeah but this is where the money is. He's like, but it's wrong. Like you're putting out of business this small family-owned thing, and you're not really being yeah, you're not being you're not being um uh, honest with them. Yeah. So and then you know, the other aspect of transformational is like, instead of viewing people as cogs in a machine, like, okay, this person is here to serve this function Mm -hmm. and this is their output, right? Right. You're viewing people as whole people.
0: People are complicated. Go figure. Yeah. So business is complicated. Business is complicated as well as people are. And I, I, I'm a big proponent and I can't stand when people say like, it's, it's only business. It's not personal. And I want to say, well, do you have people involved? I'm like, I, 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 I don't know how, you know what I mean? I think and I think that's one thing where, we, you know, women versus men, where women try to be more like men and less of themselves, right. right? You try to go into that transactional, let's shut off all those other feelings as if they don't matter because this is business, right? But they do matter to your point. Yeah, absolutely. And imagine if, if you are a leader and you can capitalize on the entirety of a person, right? And all that they have to offer and not just that, you know, measurable transactional, piece of them if they can bring their entire selves to the table, it would be a much richer, probably much more lucrative business experience as well, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And, and that's what I say. I think another area that a lot of people struggle over type A is delegation. Yeah. And I always say, you know, when women are I'm, I'm burned out, I'm overwhelmed, have you really audited like what is the strengths yes. of your staff? Have yep. you had them take strengths 2.0? Have you had them do personality yep. tests? Yep. What are they good at? And what do they want to do? Where can they take the burden off of you? Right. You right. don't have to do everything. Or what can you teach? Who has potential to be taught something, right? right? You don't have to be self-important and do everything yourself.
0: No, you don't. And I think, you know, I'm always a, I'm always a big proponent is the best leader doesn't have to be good at all the things. They just have to surround themselves with, you know, the best, the best people. And then honestly finding out, you know, why are those people walking through the door, you yeah. know, or why are they even there period? What
1: drives them? What exactly. drives them? What, they, what do they want? Yeah. And yeah. And treating them as As people, I mean, saying at Monday morning, how was your weekend?
0: Yeah. Instead of being like,
1: okay, this is the list of things we need to get done. I'd like a report by five p.m. on where they are. Like,
0: you're like, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) How was your daughter's bat mitzvah? You know, like whatever. It's, It's not. I mean, and that's what always, what always blows my mind is it's not rocket science you know, it's just, it's really just good humaning. That's kind of what I say. Like, it's just, and I think if that is kind of one of the roots of feminist entrepreneurship and feminist leadership, you know, and just the fact that you bring ethics to the table, right. Because oftentimes, like you just gave in that example of the transaction, like, is this transaction that you're doing really what you meant to do? Like ethically? You know, or did you just lose sight of kind of that litmus test that you had to do before you moved forward, or as your company grew, or as you became more detached from the lower level or your original mission, right? But at least if you have the X ex- the ethics defined to begin with, you have something, anything to kind of bounce it off of, right?
1: And I think that's where having that north star yeah. of like the intrinsic power map of your knowing yes. your values to help you make tough decisions. Yeah. So when you have a tough decision, you can look back and say, okay. My top three values are creativity, honesty, and uh, radical acceptance, whatever they are. Right. I, I'm, I need to lean into those when I have yes. a tough decision Yeah, uh, and, and stay true to them or else I'm not staying true to myself. And ultimately, you know, I may make quote unquote more money, but I'm not going to, you know, just like my show example, I could have maybe had 10 grand to do the show, but I wouldn't have felt good about it and I would have had to change my moral standing and what's true to me in order to go there. And I don't, I don't want to do that.
0: Right. And I think that inventory piece and kind of that intrinsic mapping is such a big part of this, because Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know about you, but as I've gone through different scenarios, I'm like, is this actually what I think? Like I'm not even sure because I've been told Uh, what to think in so many different aspects that you really have to listen carefully and work at understanding that this is actually my thought versus, right. you know, the things you that know, I've been told to think. And I, I've had women
1: who've been in the, in government for a long time, right. Yep. Where their oh, role yep. is to, you know, especially a diplomat, your role is to talk about what America wants exactly, and what America's foreign interests exactly. is, what America's values are. Yep. Well, what are your values? And they start to realize, you know, 20 years into being a diplomat, I'm talking about America's values all the time or America, what America wants, what do I want? Yeah, where's where's what does my voice consist of? What do, what do I have to say without being a, a mouthpiece for America?
0: Right, I mean, and what you just described right there is also what many mothers, many wives, many kind mm. of you know women who go into any of those types of roles too, because it becomes especially in being a mom, it's like what do my kids want? What's best for my kids? What's best for this? And then you are you know second tier, um, whereas I think they could be on the same playing field potentially in some situations, right? Like, um, or at least to give, to give pause to long enough to at least acknowledge that fact, right. You don't have to drown yourself for the, for the benefit of others. Right. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about this all day and I think, I think you're lovely and you bring so much great energy to the table and to your, to your cohorts and everything. I just, I just see amazing things happening down the line for this. So tell people where they can find you and some more information if they are interested in, in getting involved with your program.
1: Sure. So in terms of my women's leadership program, you can go to www.empowerglobal.net, E-M-P-O-W-E-R.net, and then click on women's leadership challenge on the left. Um, You can also just be added to my mailing list, which is a little bit easier. So if you text the word empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R to the number 66866. So that's empower to 66866. uh, It'll send you a message and say, what's your email address? And then you just send back your email address, and then you're on the mailing list. Uh, And uh, I am taking applications right now for the uh, spring, winter cohort. So January, February. Right. Uh, but the spots, like I said, and this is part of feminist entrepreneurship too, is I like to scale deep rather than scale big. Right. That's why I only have eight to 10 women. So if you're interested, uh, you need to apply ASAP because uh, the spots do go incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my talk show, so you can go to www this, this word, I'm like, should I have picked it? It's so confusing. <laughs> uh It's S-A-M-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-I-T-I-C-S.org. Or you can just Google Samantha Politics or my name, and I'm sure you'll find it in about yeah. two seconds. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I would invite you to become a subscriber on YouTube. If you're interested in that kind of work, become a subscriber on Patreon. I've covered, probably issues in 30 different countries, 90% female guests, always asking where the women and girls and figuring out feminist-born policy solutions. Yeah. So I think those are the, the big spots.
0: Yeah, and I will link all of this in the show notes. And I have to say, right. like I said earlier, um, your your show just covers a lot of ground and it makes you see things from a lot of different points of view um yeah. so for those of us in the states um you know you really do get kind of a sense of places outside of your bubble which i really always enjoy um well thank you so much for being here with me today this has been a pleasure, a pleasure. yeah thank you
1: really enjoyed it michelle next time we'll have to do some singing
0: agreed <laughs> agreed <laughs> sounds good it's a date <laughs> well i learned some stuff in this episode and i hope you did too um, you know, there's there's all different leadership models, right? And I do not pretend to be an expert in, you know, many of them. I know bits and pieces. I know enough to be dangerous. But what I do know is the characteristics that Samantha described that are in alignment with feminist leadership and in alignment with feminist entrepreneurship sound good to me, right? I mean, valuing people as people coming to the table with empathy, transformational leadership, all of those things sound good to me. And I hope they do for you too, because if not, maybe this is the wrong podcast for you to be listening to. But anyways, on next week's episode, I am welcoming Dr. Nancy Dome to the show. Now, Nancy is an equity consultant. She you know, is the co-founder of Epic Education, but she's also an author of a fantastic book that I'm in the process of reading right now called let's talk about race and other hard things. And she brings it folks. You don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow rate and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.